Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Kristen. And tonight we're gonna uh, two topics we're gonna try to to squeeze into the show. Uh, one of them is top down versus bottom up testing. If you don't know what that is, we'll we'll kind of define what we mean by that when we get into it. And the other one is should you soft delete. So before we get into all that stuff, uh, Kristen, how was your week? Pretty busy again. I'm doing a fair amount of consulting, a lot of consulting work that I'm working on. And unfortunately, some of my stuff I need to be doing for my app is <laughs> not keeping up as much as I want to. Or I want to push it more forward, things faster than they're happening now. But it's kind of like, with the consulting, it's kind of like, well, if it's available, <laughs> go ahead and book, book it and do it now to have the revenue and then yeah. use the revenue for other things. What about you? Um, I Since we're heading towards, well, end of the year and getting a couple of weeks away from our um, code freeze, trying to get final our final production releases out and get all the, the little things tied down for the end of the year. So it's just been a lot of little nitnoid crossing I's, dot and T's kind of week. Um, that kind of thing. So, um, actually, actually hasn't been too stressful or too complicated. It's just been very busy because it's like, you know, just tons of little things flying around. Um, but, uh, you know, we're on a good trajectory to get everything where, where it needs to be in the time it needs to be there. So feeling pretty good about that. Cool. All right. So, um, Bottom up versus top down testing. So you you brought this this idea up uh, for the show, and so I'll let you define what you mean by that. <laughs> I, I think I know actually, what you mean, but yeah, we never actually talked about it. I just sent an email. You said, "Oh, excuse me, a text." You said, "Sounds good." Yep. <laughs> and we never discussed it until the second. Right. So brand new so conversation. My, yeah. My interpretation of what I meant by that is basically a UI first is what I kind of mean by top down um, or integration test first. Like if you're using Ruby on Rails, maybe you're writing a, um, heaven forbid, a cucumber spec or, you know, something or something in our spec that basically uses something like Capybara. So you're literally simulating a browser of some sort to step through what you want the app to do. And bottom-up is what I meant by that, is basically unit tests. So basically, you start from, hey, I want to build this functionality. First, I'm going to create this class and these methods. And then arising from that comes the UI somehow. And I say it that way because I'm a bit biased on what on how I do things. So that's what my interpretation, or what I meant by that. Yeah, and interestingly, I I, I think this will be a, a decent conversation because interestingly, you and I are on opposite ends of this spectrum um, for how we approach testing. So, um, I mean, I, I don't think either one of us would say you use one or the other at the exclusion of the other one. Right. And and I actually start, you know, top down or UI, but I then quickly switch to unit tests and then I go back. So it's more of a, yeah. you'll find out as, as we get more into the details, it's more like that as opposed to, you know, do everything at once. Right. And I'm, I'm more of a, let me start testing the individual bricks. And then I'll put them together into the bigger, higher-level tests. So I usually start from the bottom end. That's what I would consider bottom-up. Um, yeah. So, all right. So, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> so, generally, what it, now I don't do a lot of greenfield projects anymore. I, I do on occasion. Um, but... Like so much of the, in my consulting, so much of the code bases I'm accessing have been a, around for a while. But generally, if I would do a greenfield application or how I've done it, done them in the past is that I generally start with a 
uh, integration test, a UI-based test, and I say, all right, what's the first thing I want to build? Um, basically, first thing people generally see is a login. All right, so I need logins. Well, in order to do logins, I need signups. All right, so that's actually what I start testing. Uh, if I have free reign to build the system as I would, I would say, all right, sounds like the first thing I need is a signup system. So then I define, okay, how you doing, Colin? Hey, Colin. So then I def define, okay, what is the UI? What information is needed? And then I start writing the test to say, all right, this is what I'm looking for. But then very quickly at the point at which I start adding business logic into my, say, controller or whatever, then I'm like, all right, put this in a method somewhere and now start the unit testing to test all the different variations of, of that to see, make sure it succeeds and it doesn't fail, all the different failure states that needed to be checked. So that's what I meant. I do start from the UI's perspective, but then once I get to the point where I start needing to worry about business logic, then I kind of flip into a unit testing mode. Yeah, that's so how I generally do it. I mean, that that thinking approach is usually what I take in the design. I'll start at at the top of, from a design level when I'm designing a project. So I usually do that thinking in my design phase. But by the time I get to my testing phase, I'm starting to think about, okay, how is how is this little component supposed to work? Let me get that all working right. I will say that I have seen benefits to both approaches in, in that starting with a top-down approach like you do, you, you don't get bogged down in the details of something that may not be useful once you get it into the full thing. Usually I find that as a problem and need to take the other, the, the top-down approach to testing if I haven't done much in the way of design work. And I'm not talking about ridiculous amounts of detailed design. I'm just talking, we have a general idea of what this thing is going to do, how things are generally going to look, and what features are going to be in it. So, um, so I think... Now, when you... Sorry, go ahead. Um, I, I, I think that the difference in how you approach design will have a significant impact on what the best way is to approach testing. Now, now, when you're saying design, what does that mean to you? Because some people may hear it and think the visual design. Some people may think the database design. Some people may think how your classes are being arranged and what's storing data. What do you mean by design? Well, so what I mean is I'm not talking about the aesthetic things. I'm talking about wireframing you know how how are things going to connect? What is this app going to do? Uh, how is the you user mean, like, flow going to work? I mean, to a point, but you know, I'll just start with a piece of paper and a pencil and start drawing little squares and saying, okay, I think this it should have this kind of screen and that that should go to this kind of screen. Kind of like what is the user flow in the product? Okay, so it is. It's like it's a mock-up of what a user would see. Yeah, just okay. not very yeah. fancy one. <laughs> And and at that well, point, that's 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 my that's a mock up. It's not yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I I want you know I rarely think about the aesthetics of this at all until I get well into the testing phase and I'm already doing you know got things up and running in my local server and stuff. Well, no, I'm I I I was ninety percent confident that's what you meant by design. But yeah. in case people were hearing this, I didn't. They some people may think. Hey, user interface. You know, well, user interface. and you know, it depends. Aesthetic design, right? And so. and I think that's I approach it that way because I'm mostly a back end developer. Front end developers, when they say design, are typically talking a lot about where are we going to put these things on the screen? How are they going to look? What colors are we going to use? You know, they are talking about the aesthetics when they say that. So I think that's a good distinction. <laughs> Uh, Colin says, I typically have a similar flow as you, Creston, but it does depend on what I know already about what I need or want to build going into it. So, yeah, I mean, that's agreed. I, th I think that's right. And I think most 
developers that I've seen anyway tend to start with a top-down design like you. I'm I'm a bit odd in that respect, I think, in the in the in the general. Um seems to be most people don't approach it the way I do, but that's my brain just works better that way thinking about the little bits. Yeah. And 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 I'm not even talking about the phase of where cuz even before that starting that approach before I start coding I think through the database size of things the 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 data side of things all right what kind of tables am I going to be needing and it's not that I build those first necessarily but I like having it scoped out kind of at least at a first pass of what I think I'm going to need, which tables where the data is going to be stored even before I, you know, start that. And then as I go through the process and set up, say, the sign-up system and then get a login system, as things bubble up and say, oh, I needed to do this, well, then that needs, you know, then I'll need to make changes to the database plan I had. Yeah, it's a plan right. that is, of course, subject to change. So when do you do think about the the data and where it's being stored in the data tables? Is that like prior to you starting or is it along That's, with the your design phase or it's usually part of my design process, but it's not really thinking about tables per se as much as defining the models that or the classes that I'll have. Which I mean kind of essentially is the same thing at that point. But um but yeah, I do that as part of my design and that's a lot of times one of the very early things I will do is I've got this concept for a project and I kind of know, I've kind of thought through what my flows are going to be and what kind of things it needs. So let me start defining my models of what's what it's going to take to support those. And then I'll figure out, okay, how are those models going to flow? Right. And start right start drawing my, my silly little squares and crap piece of paper at that point. So yeah, I'm usually defining the the data structure pretty early on. Uh, for example, if I had to add a column to an existing model, I will do unit tests first before I start working that new piece into the UI, doing more integration tests. Yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense, Colin. Um, yeah, because once the thing is is out of greenfield status, um. I think most people tend to go more to unit testing because they're trying to tackle a specific bug or a specific new feature or a specific problem. And so they're just writing tests around this little bit, um, at, at least more I still, so. I, I still tend to do my UI tests first, though, with that, even with that. Yeah, well, you're weird, that's, so that's I don't... <laughs> Um, no, I, I this think this thing that's... needs a toggle. Okay, yeah. test that there's a toggle, and right. when you toggle it, something should happen. Like, okay, well then, right? Well, and that's see, me. I I think, and again, I think that's probably more common than the way I do it. But what I do with my tests is, I actually do test-driven development, where I start with the little thing. And say, okay, now tell me what the next thing is I need to do. And I let my tests kind of lead me through. Um, you have to be a little careful with that because you don't want your tests driving your design. You want them driving your development, um, which is a bit of a hair-splitting point, but it's, I think, important. Um, but... Um, it, you know, I, I like to kind of let my tests kind of lead me along to the next thing I got to do, because then I don't have to think about the mechanics of what I've got to put in place. I can think about the, keep my eye on the end goal of where I'm trying to get, I guess is what I'm saying. Now, what do you mean the mechanics and how, do, how are the tests driving? Well, okay. So you, you have to make this, this, um, you don't have this controller action. Okay, you don't have this view. Okay, you don't have this partial. Okay, you don't have this config. Okay, you don't have, you know, this class name. Okay, you know, and I just let it worry about all those mechanical things so I can concentrate on pushing things forward and thinking through the next 
steps. Which, now that I'm saying that, it sounds like, I think, top-down would be more useful in that respect. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. However, that hasn't been my experience. When I start with top-down, I, en- I end up spending more time thinking about the mechanics and working myself backwards than if I start at the bottom up. Now, what does the process of bottom-up mean to you? Like, sorry, I'm, I'm put you on the spot here, but can you think of a feature and like, all right, how do you start from a bottom-up approach? Well, usually what I'll do, so for example, um, like I said in my design phase, I'll start defining my classes, what classes I need. I'll, I'll need a user. I'll need a... a um, an order, I'll need a line item, I'll need, you know, these things. Then I go through those and I say, okay, which of these classes do I want to start with? Which is kind of one of the building blocks. Now, what do I want this class to do? And then I'll start testing that. And then I'll I'll say, okay, now I need to start thinking about how this other class is going to link to this one. So what does this other class need to do? And how are they going to talk to each other? And so that's kind of my bottom-up approach, is I kind of start at a class level and work my way into systems of classes. Okay. So how do you do it with the with the top-down? Well, I mean, I think I described it. I basically work until the point of, like, the request... The feature request is being able to log in. Okay, well then need to present a form. And then all right, now it's time to submit the form. Well, now we got to do authentication. So what does that mean? So then at that point I switch to essentially unit tests because I want to create a very simple API or interface for in the controller to be able to authenticate someone either use a POBRO or put it in the user model, even though people tend to not like that or whatever, but basically put the authentication there and then unit test that to make sure it does what's expected. And then that essentially will lead the login to work from the user interface level. So as I'm kind of listening to to you and I describe these things, one of the things I'm starting to think of is test duplication or having the same function tested many, many places through your test suite is a significant problem in a lot of um, code bases, right? Because especially if you've got multiple developers, but even if you only have one developer, what ends up happening is it it grows into, um, I'm retesting the same thing over and over because I'm trying to test this other little thing that sits under it. Right, but I have to test all this stuff to get to this part. I'm wondering if one of these ways um, lends itself to limiting that more than the other. And I, I don't know that I have an answer, but I'm, I, I'm just wondering if one of these can say, okay, I've gotten to a point where I've already tested this bit. So I don't need to test that again. I can just mock that or stub it out. Yeah, I mean, I I find myself being frustrated by that and constantly trying to not test too much on the UI perspective. Again, because the UI tests are slower than molasses. So... I basically just want to do the happy path and then like one failure state. And then, but that necessarily gets duplicated in the unit test. Like if I'm checking authentication, I want to make sure that a successful authentication happens and and an unsuccessful authentication happens from the UI to be able to see different messages that, okay, this failed. Um, Or I get the flow of, Did the authentication succeed or did it not? So I want those in the UI. And then the 
unit tests handle all the f- different failure cases that are possible with authentication. But I also want a successful test of, of that you know specific method. So yeah, there is, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's always going to be some duplication between sure. unit test and, but I guess the key is trying to avoid, avoid too much duplication within a segment of tests. Like don't test the same integration or UI test multiple times and don't unit test the same thing multiple times if you can. Yeah. I I find myself running into that particular issue, the duplication issue, more in my integration side tests than in my unit side tests. Because what what ends up happening for me is that to do this integration test, I, I'm basically full stacking it, which means I've got to do all the login stuff. I've got to set up all these behind yeah. the scenes things and the cookies and all that crap. And then I go to test this other screen or this other feature and I have to do all the same crap again. And, you know, it gets to a point where, okay, I should probably mock a lot of this stuff, but at some point I need to test it. So which one should I test it in? And then it just feels uneven to me and, and blows my OCD up. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm just, I, I can see that, you know, I'm not. And to be fair, I do integration tests. I mean, I don't, I don't think you should only do one or the other. I think they're both important. Um, and I think what we're, what we're really talking about is the order in which you do those things. Yeah, yeah. But but I just wonder if because that's a that's a constant problem in in code bases I run into and code bases I write. I mean, I have that problem and I'm aware of the problem. I just haven't figured out a good way to stop it yet. Um without massive amounts of effort. I mean, if I spent all my time doing tests and never actually wrote any code, I'm sure I could control that. But at some point you got to actually write code or the tests are meaningless. Um but I'm just wondering if one of those one of those methodologies has a benefit to that, helps control that more. I don't know, chat. What do you th- what do you think? Or leave some comments in here if you're watching later. Is there? How do you control your code, your test duplication, uh, especially in the integration side, because those are those tend to be worse about duplication because they're full stacking it. Um. Well, and just and just expensive too. Yeah, yeah. So if you have duplication, that's where you want to avoid it at all costs. Exactly. Yeah, unit tests. If I duplicate a couple of methods, method tests or method calls, fine because they're you know twenty five milliseconds each, but it can get really bad. So, anyway, any final thoughts on the top down versus bottom up? Well, um, trying to think if I, I don't think so. I mean, I think I have an idea of how now, so I can understand that. All right. So you have a new feature that has come in. You need to maybe add a new class and new methods. And basically you start structuring it from there and not touching the UI as of yet necessarily. Right. Is that correct? So you basically put that in and then you layer the UI on top and start your integration test at that point. Yeah. Once once your unit tests are passing and you have the structure that you want in terms of classes and met- classes and methods, et cetera. Pretty much. I mean, I, I will kind of switch back and forth. Like I'll I'll there'll be an area of the app where I'll do all the unit and class testing I need to do to get those bits together and then build it up to the integration tests and then go to another area where I can work on some, but I, I save the, the front end stuff to last because I want the, the mechanics of the program to be independent of the presentation of the program. I don't want to be thinking about how is this going to look when I'm thinking about how is it going to work? If that makes sense. Well, 
I mean, yes, to a point. How it works is basically UX design or user experience. Uh, well, it depends on what part of the program you're talking about. I mean, fair point, but um, I'm talking about when I'm, you know, my models and stuff, how they interoperate, how the classes talk to each other, where their barriers are, um, what the what the logic and programming flows are, to me, are independent of what the user flow necessarily sure. is. Sure. Right. Yeah, that's a different consideration compared to uh yeah the user yeah. flow and my or brain just likes experience right my brain just likes to think of the mechanical flow first and then i'll lay on the user flow on top of that because i can then just take the user flow off and put a different user flow on if i want to not not to say that i think that the other the other way of thinking doesn't have value I, you know thinking about how is the user going to use this can dictate a lot of times how you need to build the mechanics but that's not typically how my brain wants to wants to flow with it so so anyway okay. all right so that's one topic down let's talk about the other fun one and this is something that's actually relevant to my recent work life because i just had to fight with with some of this oh boy should you soft delete? Now, let's first define soft delete. Uh, what that means is you've got records in your data, and rather than when somebody wants to get rid of a record, you actually delete it from your data. That's a hard delete. With a soft delete, you usually have like something like a field called deleted at. That's kind of like your updated at and created at. And you stamp that field and then just filter those things out. Right, that's a soft delete. I don't actually get rid of the record. I just filter it out of everything. You mark it as being deleted. Right. By putting a date time in the deleted app. Right. And and I think so I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a number of ways to do this. 95% of them are you put a deleted at date stamp in there so that you can track when was this deleted and and that top that that point is going to be important later in this discussion and and some of the things that I've run into in real life. But I've also seen things that are just kind of like a Boolean flag, active, inactive, deleted, not deleted, you know. I think the best approach is a date timestamp if you're going to do soft deletion. Now, before we get deep into the discussion... I just want to see if chat has any opinions on should you soft delete stuff or should you just hard delete it um, when you're when you're dealing with apps, especially if you're you're dealing with um, high volume apps. So one of the things that I will say is that I think that answer largely depends on how big your database is going to get. Hey, Rick. Welcome to the show. Howdy. Howdy. So, if I'm never going to have very much volume in my database, soft deletion, I think, is a safer route to go. Because if I goof something up, I can always just get that record back by you know, nulling out the deleted at field. That's simple. If I hard delete stuff, I've got to go to backups to get those records back, for the most part, unless I'm keeping doing an archive system or something like that. Um, problem you run into is when you have large data volumes. And the biggest issue with that is it's kind of... Um, Well, so I think Rick is getting on this right now. I do like soft delete, but I'm concerned about performance when you delete A, which has many B, which has many C, which in turn has many D. Exactly. Um, you get a kind of a um, progression of exponential growth in your data. 
And if you're only hiding the top-level record, you've essentially, not technically correct, but you have essentially orphaned all the, the hang-off records from that. Um, not from a database or perspective, because the record's just or there. Or worse, but... generally, this is something done in the Rails app, whereas the database can still see everything. Right, exactly. So if you're, typically, how it's set up is you can do any queries you want and still get all the data, even the the quote-unquote deleted data, and it's the Rails app that misses it. Well, now, how do you handle, again, these um, ch child records of this record that's deleted? Do you delete, do you soft-delete the children as well so it doesn't show up in the Rails app or not? Yeah, and that brings is, up all sorts of questions. That is specifically one of the two big problems I just ran into with soft-delete, and that was... We soft-deleted this thing that is connected to another thing. When you look at the global list of things, the thing doesn't show up because it's soft-deleted. But if you look at the category of things, the thing shows up because the category isn't soft-deleted that it belongs to. Right. So that caused massive confusion for some of, some of the customers that were using that functionality. And... It was because, because of the soft deletion, and when you do that, it's necessary to make sure that you go through and filter everywhere that can be. And if you miss a place, things are going to go weird. So if you're going to soft delete, you better know everywhere that's going to show up, and you better be really thorough uh, with your filtering on that. Um, so that's one significant issue with soft deletes. Now, that being said, I don't want it to come across as I'm trying to advocate you should never soft delete, always hard delete your stuff. I don't believe that. There are times when you want to soft delete, uh, especially with things like users. Um, I think that's, that's a case where you almost always want to soft delete, at least at first. Um, because the other big problem with soft deletes is database performance. Because if you're never getting rid of, rid of records that aren't being used, and you're never cleaning up your database and doing the vacuums and stuff, your indexes are going to get ridiculously huge, your searches are going to get insanely slow, and your database size is going to grow out of control. And then you're, what you're going to end up doing, which I've run into, is your database causes you to have to buy more infrastructure just to house the size of your database, and three-quarters of your records are soft-deleted. So you're wasting a crap ton of money, right? And also, your search search times and your user experience goes down the toilet. Um, so performance is the other big, big consideration when you're thinking about soft-deleting. Should you never soft-delete if you are... If you have very high volume uh, databases, no. But if you're going to soft delete in high volume, I would highly recommend that you have some kind of sunsetting procedure where once this record has been soft deleted for 90 days or 120 days or whatever, we go through and hard delete it. We have a process that runs every night that hard deletes in the background. Or we have a process that goes in and moves that off to an archive table so it's not in the main table anymore. So just to comment on something you said, anything that's going to be deleting up to three quarters of the table, like you mentioned, so like a quarter of active data and three quarters of it's deleted, I wouldn't even use a deleted app for that use case. <laughs> No, nor would I. I mean, there you do need to think about I, the I use think cases. that particular yeah. use case. If you're going to be know you're going to be deleting a lot of data, I wouldn't use this. I would like how I've used it, like in my own app, is as a rescue measure when users do something that they want to take back <laughs> right. pretty easily. Control so like, Z, example, Control Z. <laughs> exactly. Like for example, um, mine app does online giving. And the form I set up as a soft delete. And all of the gifts coming in are linked to that form. Now, 
the soft deletion allows that form to be deleted. Now that form is no longer available. You can't make gifts through it. Um, but if someone does that by accident, like, oh my gosh, our form is down, you know, can go in and easily reverse that soft deletion and hey, everything's working again. But even if I were to delete it, I actually never uh, delete the gifts, no matter what. They're always there unless there's spam-related issues. But, and I don't have like a cascade delete set up in the Rails application or in the database for that because I want people to be able to delete old forms, but the actual transactions that have come through them will persist or, and are independent. So in that use case, I don't need to worry about, oh my gosh, what do you do with the children? Because I've already right. established they need to stay. Yeah. So I think that, not to say that this is a good or acceptable use case, but it's one that decision I made a few years ago that you know seems to be working. And it's exceedingly rare. I think I've only had to use it. So I built out this feature, taking time to do that. Now, granted, it's not that hard to do, but I think I've used it once, maybe twice in over five years. So it's kind of like, do you even need this feature is another question. Yeah, but I'm I'm going to guess that that once or twice was, oh, thank God I had this. <laughs> well, yeah, well, what you would do as an alternative, because there's actually a post that actually prompted my suggestion talking about this. Hey, guys. Uh, so sorry about that. I don't I that was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. My my PC just. All my monitors went blank and it sounded like it was rebooting, but I was still talking on Zoom and OBS locked up and I don't know what the hell that was. But anyway, um, thanks, Microsoft, I guess. Um, Meanwhile, Linux is still running. <laughs> this is why I develop in Linux. Um, I'd be running this in Linux, too, if OBS ran in Linux, but. It runs well, in Linux. OBS does, but a lot of the plugins that I use don't. So it's anyway. Right. Uh, anyhow, so we were talking about uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? No, wait. I, I don't eat those. <laughs> we Oh, gosh. So we're talking about soft deletes. Mm -hmm. And what the conversation that we were talking about is that this will link a post that talks about this because that gave me the idea for having this discussion. And he actually has. He wasn't actually saying that you should just not do it, just full delete, but had an alternative strategy for handling if you do need to get data back other than backups. So we can mention that. He also, um, so I think the deleted at technique is, yes, we soft deleted the stream. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Colin. Good one. We just we just updated it to null and we're back, baby. Okay. <laughs> so I think that that could be a good use case as long as you're not worried too much about the children of the model that you're going to be doing the deleted at or if it's a very infrequent thing. However, the proposal that this individual had um, was not doing that because number one, it requires you all queries that are sent to the database now to need to say where deleted at is null. Now you can do some techniques in Rails that make that convenient, but still every query now has to, if you need to do anything, go and drop it down to find by SQL or anything like that, or find by SQL, you're going to have to remember to do that to make sure that those stay hidden. So it's more of an onus and more things to keep in your head as you're working with it. Uh, so that's one disadvantage he mentioned. The other one was um, uh, the foreign keys don't work. So of course you, you have these linked and it's a good practice to use foreign keys to maintain referential integrity. Yeah. And that goes, this exact goes to the point of what do you do with the children if you're soft deleting, say, the parent? Well, your referential integrity integrity goes out the window. And so you can't really use it if you're using soft deletes or 
doesn't work that effectively. And the other thing that now his or well, the other thing I think you could handle it. He talks about being able to delete records. Well, you could delete records using the deleted at dates. So that's another advantage of using deleted at is that you can delete them after a period of time for compliance reasons or right. again, you just want to clear up data if it's taking too much room in your table. But I the technique that he proposed is basically maintaining a deleted at table. So not deleted at table, but just basically a deleted records table of whatever it is. Like if it's like if it was my forms, there would be a deleted forms table. Right. So like an archive type system. Yeah. And so basically the delete process would be actually deleting the data and then inserting those data values into this separate table. And he proposed using a JSON field to basically concatenate all the fields together. So that way you don't have to have synchrony between the data model as it exists in, say, your forms table and the ultimate forms deleted table. And for the undelete process, basically you would need to read those values and repopulate. Oh, right. So split them back out from that concatenated Right, JSON right. glob. And the effect is, effectiveness of that would vary based upon how frequently your schema is changing, but, you know. Sure. So that is a consideration, but at least you have the data to be able to do it. Um, and it would be a longer process than you just flipping one column to null, for example, but. Yeah. Well, and, and I think I think the decision on whether to use soft deletes or not is kind of almost a table by table or maybe a class by class decision because you know if I've got like important financial stuff, I don't want that deleted. to be deleted, right? Yeah. At least not until I don't need it anymore. You know, after five years or something. Right. 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 But if I have you know, hey, here's here's a list of images that the user uploaded. How long do I really need to keep that? If somebody deletes that, do I care? Right? They just upload the images again. What you know, big big damn deal. But um, so I I think you you have to think about all right. Well, what are the repercussions if I do delete this record? What happens? Is is it a big problem? And if you say yes, then I think you better investigate some soft deleting schemas. If you say nobody's going to care, then just delete the record. Don't complicate things. Or, I mean, another, if you can maintain some, another possibility is a temporal soft delete perhaps. So as opposed to doing something on a regular basis, but basically saying like, well, you talked about deleting them at some point down the road, but you could say, well, this is a weekly soft deletion. And basically you keep that data around for a week once it's soft deleted. And then all that data gets purged whenever that seven day time runs around. So that way it's readily accessible to restore something if the user does something by mistake. Otherwise, it's it's just gone. Right. And that's kind of what we do is we have this rolling, you know, nightly job that goes through and does a rolling however many long. Ours is usually on the order of like a year or something, but it does this rolling. If it's older than this, the deleted ad is older than this, gone. Yeah, and I, I think that goes to the point, it, it depends on the use case. So right. like in my forms case, if someone's deleted a form, 95% of the time, it's because they made a mistake. They were, you know, it's in what's well, higher than that. There's only probably 0.1% of a chance that they messed something up because I have other controls that they have to confirm you want to delete this, you know. So it's yeah. really, really low percentage. 
and they will know very, very soon if there's a problem. Yeah, it's so not like it's going to take them six months to say, oh, hey, Creston, I accidentally deleted this form. Exactly. It's going to be delete. Oh, crap, Creston. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So with that, you could have a much shorter window. Right. I think. So I think yeah. it's dependent upon what you're talking about. Right. Whereas things like financial data, okay, well, we have to keep that around for so long because of tax laws and that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So. And and if you're talking about stuff like that, then that is applicable for, then like partition tables are great for that in the database. Right. So that basically you could partition by year, by month, and you retain that data and then you delete it at you know, at the end of five years, seven years, you know, whatever it is, you could just delete the whole table and get rid of all the data. So yeah. I wouldn't use a soft delete for that case. I right. Again, I think of it as something that's, it's a way for a user to get out of making a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's mostly what, what you would use it for. I have seen, um, people though go completely overboard with soft deletes and just everything is soft deleted. We never hard delete anything out of the database. And I think I can't think of any app I've ever seen where that is a necessary thing. I mean some of the stuff, sure, soft deleted for a while. But some of it just I mean just no. That you know, there's just no reason. And if you care that much about it, I would do the separate table technique because then you could, all right, if I'm going to be deleting this half million rows or, or whatever it is, then export that data to its own table or just to a CSV and archive it on S3 and then delete the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it, there's that's... no reason to just keep it around if it's never going to be used. Right. Or if it's only going to be used once a year or something like that. Or on the off chance that we have to look back at something, fine, archive it off. And if you have to pull it back in, pull it back in. But in the meantime, your daily user experience is suffering like crazy because somebody might get a wild hair one one week in the distant future and decide they need to see this order that was placed five years ago. Well, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, but if, if that's your business process, that should be communicated, that you purge particular data then that should be communicated and sure it's just, or it's there for an archive it shouldn't just be in the database just in case right yeah but, and but the, i mean i think these soft deletes are just best for saving a user from themselves yeah <laughs> or or so. you know not only an end user but programmers sometimes like you know i put this process out in in production and holy crap i sure. made a mistake and it just deleted a bunch of data well if i've soft deleted data okay that's not that bad right true true but even then you don't want to soft delete every damn thing in your in your app and i've seen that you know people are just like oh everything's soft deleted because somebody might make a mistake something but some of this stuff what if it gets deleted who cares it's, you know, so what? Yeah, soft delete yeah, the important I, stuff, but... Yeah, I think it's definitely the exception. Yeah. So... And there are a lot of... And, and there are a lot of downsides to it, as we've discussed here. Particularly with regard to the referential integrity. Like having children around when a parent is missing. Which... <laughs> I'm going on a strange <laughs> tangent here, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the answer to the original question, should you soft delete, is it depends, but probably not as much as you think you should in a lot of cases. Uh, based on what I've seen in the wild, people overuse that and are overcautious with deleting. Um, but yeah, there are cases where soft delete is good. If it's important data, if deleting the record can cause significant issues or if you need some time to recover from accidental deletions for things, sure, soft delete it. But put a time limit on that and don't just let it sit there for, you know, 100 years. 
it's, it's only useful for so long. I don't care how important the data is. Any piece of data is only useful for so long. Um, and if it needs to be useful for longer than that, archive it. Put it yeah. in a different table. So I think that's the answer to the question. But chat, let us know what you think. Put some comments down below. Um, and, and you know, I think it's a discussion that's worth having. Um, when should you soft delete? Because sometimes you should, but when are those times? Um, anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that. And thank you for sticking around through the technical difficulties. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Deletion. <laughs> yeah, soft delete in the stream, as Colin said. Um, that's kind of really what it was, because the computer didn't actually reboot. It just kind of blinked out of existence for a second and then came back. Um, but anyway, if you guys enjoyed that, please like, subscribe, comment, uh, do a follow if you're seeing this on Twitch. Um, we will not be here next week. Um, tomorrow I will be doing Code with Chris. Um, but next week, neither the, the dev show or Code with Chris will be on because we will be celebrating Thanksgiving with our families. And I hope that everyone uh, who's watching who does celebrate Thanksgiving, which will be mostly the people in the U.S., uh, although I know some people abroad do as well, um, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, and good time with your family and can concentrate on all the things that you're thankful for. Um, yep. So we will see you back on November the 30th with Ernesto is going to come talk to us about, uh, okay, you've looked at, at code critic, Ruby critic, uh, and you've examined all the things in there. Now, what do you do? What are the best practices to, to get in your code healthy again, once you've identified where the problems are? Uh, so that should be a fun talk. Um, I hope all you guys at RubyConf mini are having a good time. Wish we could be there. Uh, but, couldn't so um if you are there and you came to join us thank you so much for taking time out of your fun to come watch us blather and have technical technical difficulties and obviously speech impediments as well um so uh <laughs> holy crap i'm gonna go get a cup of coffee and a nap uh we will see you guys uh well i'll see you tomorrow and then we'll see you back here in two weeks until then happy programming Happy programming.